we just had a conversation with Markham Hislop about carbon pricing. And, you know, there's going to be a vote in uh, Ottawa today, first minister's meeting in Halifax today, and they're all going to be talking about carbon pricing and the Liberal government's carve-out of carbon pricing on home heating fuel for the Maritimes and for nobody else. Um, It all fits into what we're doing with the larger scheme of things in terms of the energy transition and moving away from fossil fuels. And I think most people, I would say probably 99% of people say that's happening. It's it's the timeline and how we're going to do it and how we're going to do it effectively and efficiently and and deal with the reality that exists as we do it. Um, One of the constant criticisms about the transition is the unreliability of the renewable energy sources that we have, especially if you listen to our Premier. She's consistent. Wind and solar, not the answer, right? She talks about land use issues, of course, but she repeatedly describes solar and wind as unreliable and goes on to say there's no effective way to store the energy they produce in order to bridge the gap. This was her in a recent conversation just last week economy is going to be operated on wind and solar and battery power and it cannot there is i want to talk about batteries for a minute because i know that everybody thinks that this economy is going to be operated on wind and solar and battery power and it cannot there is no industrialized economy in the world operating that way because they need baseload and there are long stretches in winter where we can go weeks without wind or solar that is the reason why we need legitimate real solutions that rely on baseload power rather than fantasy thinking and I am not going to engage in fantasy thinking I I, I might push back and say fantasy thinking would be no solar for weeks it it can be dark for long periods of time in Alberta but I don't remember a time where we've gone weeks with no sunlight whatsoever or wind but regardless this is the conversation around this now are there ways we can do it Um, I I always caution against getting wrapped up in thinking about this is where we are today and this is where we're going to be in 2035 or in 2050, which are two of the target dates, right? Um, Especially when you're talking about tech, because tech advances and moves quickly. So I don't know where we'll be in 2035 or in 2050. But is what she's saying about today even true? Are there solutions to the problems that the Premier presents when she talks about renewable energy in this province and this country and in the world, in fact. We're going to speak now with Kina Trowell, who's an assistant professor of mechanical engineering at McMaster University to talk about something called e-fuels. Kina, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here today, Shane. Okay. Um, as I say, and, and you might have heard the Premier there, a lot of people in this country that have very grave reservations about the effectiveness in solar and wind. Now, they're not talking about some faraway ideas. We do have huge installations right here in Alberta. They're, they're already here, both wind and solar. So um, they, they see problems with them. Do you share some of their concerns in terms of unreliability and land use and all the rest? Um, I, I think that, you know, we have to get away from um, conflating certain ideas, right? Solar power is not unreliable. What it is is intermittent. And I think it's not unreliable because, well, the sun rises and sets every day, right? True. So that's yeah. like that's, that's predictable. Um, but they are intermittent, which means that we do have to have a way of ensuring that we can always meet the demand when the demand presents itself. Yeah. And that's that's where um, there, there's a lot of really exciting work being done in doing this with yes. Uh, you know, on the, on the short term, um, things like battery storage or even hydrogen production where, because there's also moments where um, more electricity is being produced 
than is needed. Um, okay, now we're going to talk about e-fuels as a sure. potential solution to some of these problems. First of all, I'm going to be uh, fully transparent. I don't know what an e-fuel is. What, what Define <laughs> e-fuel for us. What are we talking about? Sure. So an e-fuel is simply uh, something that is an, an energy carrier, a way of storing energy. And the e-fuel, um, to be an e-fuel, needs to be produced from clean electricity through a process that's carbon neutral. So some examples of e-fuels that you may already be familiar with are things like hydrogen or synthetic hydrocarbons. Or uh, in my area of research, we're looking at using metals as e-fuels. Okay, fair enough. Now, how do they help us solve some of the problems that we're talking about here? I mean, are they a storage solution or a generation solution? What do we use them for? They're both. So what the idea with an e-fuel is that when you have excess power being produced, you take that excess power, instead of curtailing it, which is what's often done now, you store it either in the form of hydrogen or in the form of a metal. And then when you need excess energy, you can pull that energy back out of the e-fuel. So for, if we take hydrogen, for example, uh, when you have excess power being produced, you, you run that excess power through a, an electrolyzer and produce hydrogen and you store that hydrogen. And then when you need more power than what is being produced by the solar or the wind, then you take that hydrogen and you run it through a fuel cell to produce that extra electricity that you need in that moment. And so that's how, that's how we, we would balance the grid. Okay, where are we? And like I say, I, I, I always caution against getting too wrapped up in technology and viewing it uh, through the prism of today, because we know this stuff mm-hmm. progresses so quickly. But where are we? Like, at what point in, in development and actually application are we with this kind of tech? Well, I mean, the hydrogen electrolyzers have been around for, you know, at least a decade and a half and, and with really good with really good efficiencies. The challenge with hydrogen isn't so much producing it from electricity. We know how to do that and, and we can do that with really, really good uh, efficiency. The challenge of hydrogen comes in, um, in actually storing it and, and transporting it. And then at the um, synthetic hydrocarbons, it's the same thing. I mean, the chemistry has been known for decades. We know that uh, we can make these synthetic car- uh, hydrocarbons to, to meet certain needs within our, our energy landscape. And then I think metals are kind of the new kid on the block, right, where we already know how to make metals uh, with electricity as the input. This is how we make aluminum and this is how we make zinc today. Uh, what's new about it is using it in this new application where um, we take that excess renewable power, we produce a metal, and then we can store that metal. Um, and, and this is actually, with, with metals, this is how we start to get around that question of, of seasonal power balancing. Right. Um, I think Premier Smith alluded to this, yeah. where there's stretches of in the winter um, where there's not enough uh, electricity being produced. Well, we can shore that up by taking all of the excess electricity that's produced during the summer, store it, and then we can pull that energy when we need it in the winter. Um, okay. Sounds like a solution to one of the problems the Premier's raised. As you know, and, and you wrote about this in the conversation, an excellent piece, uh, talking about some of the other issues. We know we have a moratorium on renewables in Alberta right now, and one of the reasons um, that has been mentioned over and over is land use. Um, how can I mean, how big of a concern is that when we talk about renewables and e-fuels and bringing it all together? Um, a lot of people are very concerned we're going to see a lot of prime agriculture land lost to wind farms, for example. Yeah, and I, I want to preface this by saying, you know, 
I my roots are uh, are in Saskatchewan farms, and so farmland I really see as a precious resource and. We should never create a system where we are having energy compete with uh, food production. This is something that my grandfather said in the 1990s when when um, biofuels seemed to be the um, the talk of the day, and, and he pointed out how dangerous this would be. And I completely agree with him, and he's completely right. We cannot use farmland to produce energy. Luckily, we don't have to. So this is what we were doing with this article is that we wanted to see, um, you know, how much land would we need if we were to try and go 100% solar. And we also very intentionally designed a an energy system that, that um, would sort of be the worst case scenario in terms of land usage, right? So we, we relied only on solar, so no wind, no hydro, no geothermal. Uh, we put that entire solar field in one place, so that means, okay, now we're going to have to have these transmission lines going across the country. And what we found, Shay, was that to meet, to simply decarbonize um, the rest of our grid. So right now in Canada, our grid is about 83% non-emitting, which is great. Um, so just to decarbonize that that remaining little bit, we'd only need about 2% of what we called marginal land. And what marginal land is, is land that um, has already been used for some sort of industrial process. Now, what, and, and that land also cannot be used for agriculture because it's polluted. And so, um, yeah, so that decarbonation piece, that, that's just 2% of marginal land. And then if we were to try and decarbonize our entire domestic uh, energy supply, we would only be using up at about 38%. <laughs> or uh, We would be using 30 to 70% of marginal land. So we were not even coming close to agricultural land or even new land use. Or, or disturbing previously undisturbed land. This is these are solar panels that can be put on marginal land that cannot be used for anything else. Okay, you uh, you keep jumping over all the hurdles that have been placed in terms of how we could use. <laughs> Here's one though, and I think um, I, I, I read the piece, and I know you think there's some issues here, and that's the grid, right? We're we're really um, mm-hmm. we can't meet the demand we have now in some instances, and and you know even you you say even some of the estimates of where we need to be are low. We, I mean this mm-hmm. this really Really needs to be a focus, right? Is building out the grid in this country if we want to do this? Mm-hmm. Yes, and that—that's—that uh, that I think is is really the challenge. Is we we have to start rethinking how we move electricity around this country and how we move energy around this country. Um, we need we're going to have to have more east-west connections. Right now, we don't have a lot of that in Canada. Um, but I, I I really want the takeaway message here today to be that this is a good news story. Shay, we have a massive opportunity in front of us. You know, Canada Canada is um, is really well positioned when it comes to this transition because we've got a lot of renewable power potential, um, way more than we need to meet our own domestic needs. So we can even become, with the use of e-fuels, potentially an exporter of clean power. But it is going to take um, pretty big investments. And I think it's important to think of these um, uh, the money that needs to be spent now as an investment, because th- these are this is infrastructure that will pay dividends down the road. Fascinating, fascinating work, Kina. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's my absolute pleasure.